Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios, Geekery in General Podcast, and uh, actually doing a live recording at uh, Evercon 2018, and for our audience members here, we do have a microphone up, so uh, later when we do start swapping con stories and such, you're more than welcome to come up and share something. Um, it also is kind of a unique opportunity, because we uh, have kind of a panel here with three people, three other people, and uh, you, if you've listened to the podcast, you recognize them. So first to my right, we have Don and yep. And then to my left here, Lou and Chad. Yes. So That's me. You're here too. Yes. And, I forgot. Uh, physically at least. Physically, not always mentally. So, but yeah, this is uh, actually kind of a special occasion because this is the first time all four of us have been together in the same place at the same time. Thus proving that we are not all figments of the other's imaginations. That's not true. That, that, this proves nothing. Well, I proved you're real by stabbing you in your arm earlier. That's true. Well, it's the first time I've met Chad and Lou, too. So Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. We've Skyped before. This is about the best we've got yeah. so far. <laughs> I'm still not sure about Lou. I still think Lou might be a figment. I don't know. You want to punch me on the shoulder or something? Oh, no, 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 no. Don't ask for that. <laughs> okay. So, anyways. Uh, the Off air, maybe. Okay. There we go. So, <laughs> so, the topic of today's episode is conventions. And all of us, I'm sure, have had our own different experiences with the type of conventions we go to, what we do at said conventions. But let's start with one of the first obvious questions. Let's look at what we have to do to go to a convention. Well, first, you might have to take time off of work. Uh, if you're going to be traveling far, you got to arrange a hotel room, so that can be pretty expensive. Usually getting into the con can be kind of pricey, too. Getting you, permission from your significant other if you have one? That can cost you your life if you're not uh, – if you don't do it in the proper way. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, you look once you get in the con, I mean con food. It's like $3 for a Coke and $7 for a hot dog. So with all the financial investment we do in this just for a, a weekend or so, why? Why do we like conventions and keep going to these things? Because reality sucks. And it's the same reason we still go to Walmart. It's people watching. Yes. Really? Yeah, well, yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, honestly, people watching at cons is amazing. Between the cosplayers, the people who uh, – low-budget cosplayers, which actually are pretty hilarious sometimes, and then just like even the Urukai that were walking by earlier. You know, I mean, that was pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. If you get a really good costume, it's like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, people watching is one of the things. Gaming – playing games that you don't play on a regular basis. They, for me, that's one of the biggest things. When I go to a con – I tend to shy away from games that I play on a regular basis, games that I know really well, because there might be that jewel, that, that diamond in the rough kind of thing out there. And, uh, yeah, we were just at a game hall, mm -hmm. and Lou found a game. I haven't played it yet, but Lou and uh, uh, Scott, one of our other buddies, you guys found a game that just you guys grasped. Oh, uh, Dragon Age. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, and, I mean, I played the video game before. I'm not sure if either one of you have. No. I played it for a while, got frustrated, sold it, and now apparently I've been told I should pick it back up again which try it again. Which Dragon Age, though? One, Inquisition. Two. Okay, all right. Well, you have to play the first one. <laughs> but in any respect, um, it is backwards compatible. But that being said, no, um, it's based on the video games, and it's a fantastic role-playing system, actually. And Scott, actually, you're in the audience here. You can attest to that, right? Absolutely. Yep. Uh, I haven't played it myself. I I don't know. I've heard mixed reviews about it. So, I mean, I, I think I run into the same problem that a lot of gamers do where uh, sometimes I have more I have more gaming supplies and more ideas to run campaigns than I have time to actually use them. <laughs> yeah. That's a legit thing. Yeah, especially, of course, when you start getting older, you've got, you know, family, children, a uh, full-time job. Yeah, it does get a, a lot harder to squeeze that stuff in. And, I mean, I'd have to say for – well, Dawn, uh, what about you? What are some of the reasons that you're willing to go sink all this money into going to conventions just to hang around people? Basically, it's an escape from your 9 to 5, from everything you do. Because you, it, for the average person, you're doing the same thing day in, day out, at least Monday through Friday, if not seven days a week. And then for me, it's just a chance to escape. I'm a big cosplayer. That's I mean, that's how most people know me now in through the small conventions and then the Dragon Con and everything else that I do. But it's through the that's a chance to escape into characters or to whatever I'm doing. And it's I leave work behind, I leave family drama behind, I leave home friend drama behind, and I just go and do what I do and 
something completely different. And yeah, there's the people watching at conventions, especially if it's a 24-hour convention, you get past the 8 p.m. mark. <laughs> it is a whole different entertaining world. It's like taking the club scene and then adding cosplay on top of it, and it's just something else. <laughs> it's, it's like After Dark on Showtime or Cinemax. Cinemax. Huh? <laughs> there you go, yeah. Well, but with Game of Thrones and everything thrown oh, into yeah, it at the same oh. time. It's like going Actually, to Game, that's, that's like going to to game Hole Con and then doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show LARP. <laughs> game Hole turns into Game Hole Con. <laughs> they have a Rocky Horror Picture Show LARP, or is that something you just made up? No, they did do it one year. It was supposed to come back a second year. A lot of stuff involved in that. It didn't. But I did play it one year, and it was amazing because you went in there dressed in your street clothes, mm-hmm. and you got characters you had to sign up for. It was something you had to pay to do, and I thought it would be really neat, and I did. And by the end of the night, I had I was wearing a thong, a bra, a uh, garter, and one of those feather boas. Now that I have that image in my head, Chad, I think... Okay, never mind. You know, if it were, if it were anybody it's, it's else, I'd say pictures or it didn't happen, but please no. <laughs> I still had my street clothes on. It was all on top of that. Oh, okay, yeah. But, now but, pics or it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> but the best part about it was you had to be 21 to be a player. But there was also an audience. And everybody that was there had to be 21 or older because the booze flowed freely. Well, yeah. It was... Probably one of my funnest games I've ever played at a convention, and also one that my wife doesn't want to hear about. <laughs> yeah, I guess okay, Chad. I wouldn't want to picture myself in a bra and panties and a bow. Either. Well, let's let's put it this way, Al. The whole thing started off is uh, one of the one of the people that were part of the game was dressed as magenta, and she came out and did a strip tease. And so she gets all the way down, she takes off her blouse, and she's got pasties on. So she starts doing that thing where the pasties start spinning, and she gets about three or four spins in, and the pasties, both of them just go, gone. And so she's standing there with topless, and you would think, you know, it's a gaming thing, so most people would be like, oh, cover yourself up, whatever. She just keeps dancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, I was still sober at that point, and I'm just like, <laughs> what the hell am I doing? <laughs> That's professionalism for you, I think. Uh, just keep going. <laughs> Don't let down, not gonna let a mere wardrobe malfunction keep you down, huh? I guess, I guess. That's just that's an excessive nip slip, I suppose. That <laughs> so, was some bad glue malfunction, is what that was. Yeah. That's some bad. And no, you know, no you know, one complained. The, the more I've talked to people about it, it almost sounds like it was a almost maybe it was showcased to be that way, like well, yeah, like the Super Bowl was in theory as a wardrobe oh, malfunction. Oh, for Janet Jackson, yeah. yeah. Well, because knowing, because I obviously glue stuff to my, like, I've had to glue crazy eyebrows and beards and things all over. And Now, there's um, a sexy image, John. You as it with a beard. Wait, wait, I did t- Merlin. Time out. You said beards all over. Where the hell else do you put a beard? <laughs> no, I mean, like, because, like. <laughs> she plays the beard. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, that's what I do on the weekends. Um. <laughs> And this is how we start digressing. It just kind of goes downhill from here. <laughs> that but, never happens on this podcast. Never. Never, never. But no, I did, a couple years ago, I did Merlin from Disney's Sword in the Stone. And a friend of mine was uh, Mad Madam Mim. So I had, like, the big eyebrows and the um, <laughs> mustache and all that. And there's special kind of theatrical adhesives you have to use. It's the same thing burlesque dancers use. You have to very carefully remove that. They're not supposed to fly off, even when you're sweating and in lots of heat. So that's where I'm kind of going, well, she must have either, either used the wrong adhesive or that was intentional. <laughs> See, and one of the things I've always liked about with cons is, yeah, you do have that social interaction, which is always a lot of fun and, you know, meeting up with new people. But, uh, and Chad, I think you made a good point where sometimes you, there's a game system maybe you don't play very often, or maybe you've always wanted to try, but you've never had the opportunity. And another thing I do like about, uh, especially when you kind of see and hear what's going on at the other tables, is people find interesting ways to use a system. So there, a good example is this morning I was playing Marvel superheroes, and the people at the table next to us, uh, you know, I overheard they were dropping like SpongeBob and Patrick. They were using the characters from the SpongeBob you know, cartoon. And I was like, okay, what game system are you guys using? And uh, they were using the Savage Worlds setting, doing a 
a SpongeBob adventure. So I thought that was just interesting and that was really creative of them. Um, so that's another thing I, I think is good for cons is they can be idea farms. So maybe if you are running your own campaign back in home and you're not, maybe you're, you're running short on ideas, some of the stuff that you might encounter at the conventions maybe can give you a little bit of, uh, again, ideas for what your own campaigns. Yeah, you know, and I've done that. I, I've stolen ideas from conventions, from like people that go online and they play their game online, I don't know, live play, I think they call it, where it's like, I won't steal the entire adventure, but you're like, well, that scene, the way he laid out that scene was just amazing. I'm going to take that. And that might be a starting point for for a game. And, I, and I've done that, actually. There was one where they were in the middle of this entire thing that I was listening to. It was like several episodes over several months. But they, they got into the place where they had been captured, and they wake up in this room, and they can't see anything. It's completely black. And they start working their way around, and all of a sudden they can feel things hanging from, like, chains from the ceiling. And they're... And they finally figure out a way to get light in there, and here it's just bodies hanging from the hooks. <laughs> so I took that. I'm like, the way they laid out the scene and the way everything happened, it was just amazing. I'm like, I want to use that scene. So I was making, putting together a horror campaign. Go figure. And that's how I started everybody out. You all just wake up, and you're in this dark darkness. And there was a body farm, basically. And, you know, it's just – it's a nod to other people's ingenuity, but it also – takes and gets your creative juices flowing mm -hmm. so i went okay i can start a campaign here and where does it go from there yeah sometimes all you need is a spark yeah exactly and uh again just uh I was saying before how sometimes you you know people find new ways to use an old system this was at gen con many many years ago back when I was still in Milwaukee, and uh, I played a... Man, you're was, old. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's about the last time I went to Gen Con, was it was in Milwaukee. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, there was a person that used Dungeons & Dragons to run, like, a Doctor Who-type scenario. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we there was, like, only a couple of us doing the actual, you know, session. So, but it was still fun. I just thought it was interesting trying to find a way to work the D&D &D rule set and some of the game mechanics and characters that you would use in that into Doctor Who and I mean I know they have Doctor Who role-playing games out there I haven't played it so I'm not sure how they implement it there um, but I said I saw that was an interesting idea as well you know and I've done things like that for especially for conventions because you want to put together something that you can play in two hours or four hours mm -hmm. and people can have you know you you have the hook and you have the conclusion all within that amount of time one year I took Call of Cthulhu and I threw Scooby-Doo I threw a Scooby-Doo skin on it because nice. Scott and I had been watching a lot of Scooby Doo, and I'm like, "Were you high?" No, it was research. It was oh. research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I said to Scott, "I said, do you think this would work?" And he goes, "Well, I've got this whole series of Scooby Doo," and I'm like, "I'll be over." And Please so we tell built. Me you at a point where the Benny Hill theme came in and they were running around. <laughs> Sorta, <laughs> without the music because I didn't have any music with me, but. Uh -huh. Scott and I sat for one afternoon and we watched episode after episode and we built the characters then in the Call of Cthulhu world based on stats that we pulled from. And did, the you, show. did you bring in guest stars like Batman or the Carbon Globe? Yeah, I was about to say that. Too. We did have hot dog water. Oh, <laughs> I was about to say that because um, that's one of the things I, I don't uh, know how many of you have watched a lot of the old Scooby Doo, but I uh, was it Jonathan Winters is another one I remember. Oh yeah, do yeah. Uh, all the sound yeah. effects, but yeah, I remember the one with. Batman, Phyllis Diller. They yep. brought Phyllis Diller in there too, I the, think. The Harlem Globetrotters yep. was a big Remember one. They did that one. a few so, times actually. the Three Stooges on there actually too. Yep. But yeah, I mean that's all role playing really is. Is you get a spark from something and then you figure out how to implement it. I love throwing skins on other games because it's usually pretty easy. Mm -hmm. You just have to use a little imagination, sometimes a friend, but <laughs> you yeah. know. It, you can get there pretty easily. And I know this is something we did talk about. Uh, I don't remember. It was within like the last 20 episodes or so. but um, Or maybe it was episode... I Idea remember. theft, was, I think, right? That was way back when. But we did one about... Uh, we did an episode called Beyond the Dungeon where... Uh, the thing is, okay, how would you take something like Dungeons & Dragons and move it into other system, you know, other settings that aren't your traditional swords and sorcery fantasy? Um, so check that one out if you're interested, especially if you're a you know big D and D player. And I mean, really, I think it's something that's it's fun to try with any system, not just D and D. Uh, like 
I know you guys said you were using Call of Cthulhu and using that in a way that you generally don't see. Well, Call you know, of the thing with Call of Cthulhu as as a base game is it's a percentile based game. It doesn't really matter if I'm going to use it as a horror genre. If I'm going to, it's an investigative percentile based game. As long as those are my ideas, I want them to be investigators okay. investigating something. We can use these stats. And it doesn't matter if I do it as a horror genre, if I do it as a humorous genre. Hell, you could use it and do a medieval game. Mm-hmm. Call Cthulhu with Care Bears. You could do it. With that scary-ass book from like one of those movies. You remember the Care Bear movie? That was terrifying as a kid. Yes. My <laughs> Little Pony and the Secret of the Ooze. There you go. <laughs> Why are you not writing these down? Because I don't have a pencil, but I got them. I got them right here. Lose on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were playing oh, the what is in your con bag earlier. <laughs> so what what is this? It's 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 my little oh, pony and Sue's is mashup of TMNT. I was yeah. gonna say it sounds oh, like a turtles okay. thing, yeah. Okay, so and of course another thing that's always fun is um it's always cool when you have people doing all the demos for the different games that and uh, we were, as we were saying before <laughs> it's always fun how uh, cons are a great way to get exposed to game systems you may normally not have played. So, and, you know, of course, we do have the microphone for audience participation. If anyone wants to come up and add something, please feel free. Uh, but what about, are there any game systems that you were introduced to at a convention, and then later on you said, hey, I'm going to go get that book and had a chance to actually play the game? Uh, okay, Chad, yes. Call of Cthulhu. Okay, I so found it at a con. Okay, cool. So. Recently, I played the Fate system, actually Fate Accelerated, okay. and I really, really enjoyed it because the guy who ran it was, he was actually, I think, a gaming and BS guy, and it was just so much fun. It didn't help that I won the book, but I yeah. would have I bought it otherwise. Yeah, it's, Fate's one of those systems I want to try someday. I've never played it, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's pretty pretty simple. I mean, they've got like the real, the full regular Fate, which I think it's like an inch and a half thick player's guide. Mm-hmm. But the accelerated one is like literally like maybe three quarters of an inch thick. It's yeah, super it's, tiny. It's another one. Sorry to interrupt here, but another one that I ran into was BRP, Basic Role Playing. It's done by Chaosium. Okay. It is super ass simple. I mean, it is character generation takes five minutes if you know what you're doing. It's just and it's percentile based everything's die 10 or percentile it's it's another really simple system out there that you can put any skin you want on it mm-hmm. and that's what was neat about fate too is i mean the dice are either blank a plus or a minus you go for the most amount of pluses and the least amount of minuses if percentile is difficult this is like even way less than, than difficult <laughs> Uh, and I don't really get because I don't get a chance to play much because at, you know, at, ga- at conventions I'm either working somebody's vendor booth for them, um, or taking pictures with fans, or <laughs> or cosplaying, yeah, or well, and working and being in the parade and doing other things. I don't really get a chance to go and play. And when I do have time, it's I have maybe an hour, so that I, it's like okay, well, we're doing a board game or a card game. So those are more what I get to try for new systems. I usually have to rely on a friend having it and having a weekend. We're like, we're going to try this. I'm like, okay, I'll come over. Or I just have to read it in a game store and go, this sounds interesting. I'm going to buy it and try to figure it out and hope I have people that are ready to come over and play. Like, I've got that DC yeah. one I bought, and I haven't had a chance to have anybody come over and try it. And it's got free gens in the back. Like, because um, you play you play as the superheroes or as the villains, so it's got the, and I want to try it out, but no one's had time. Yeah. Everyone's got kids, and no one has time to come over and play, but I want to try it out, and it's basically just a D20 system, so. Yeah. A couple of ones that stick out for me, um, Geeks the Convention, and it's a card game, so I don't know if anyone's ever played it or heard of it, uh, and the thing that's funny about that one is there's cards that are supposed to simulate things that might happen at a gaming convention, and what you do is you play a card against a friend, and if uh, they don't have a card that can counter it, you know they lose one of their geeks. And once you lose all your, you lose all your geeks, you're done. Um, another one my wife actually picked up, Fuzzy Heroes. That's a bit of an okay. So a couple people nodding them because my wife was just walking through the exhibit hall and she saw a a table where someone had a bunch of toys on there, and it's like, well, what game is this? Fuzzy Heroes, and she. Uh, that one, unfortunately, we haven't had. A, we did pick it up, but we haven't had a chance to really play it as much. So I just thought it was a cool idea. How you know you, you get you take your toy, and your toy is what determines the stats for your character. 
Knowing your wife, I can see her doing that. Yes, she so, would. Yeah. <clears throat> Does anybody have any opinions on that game? Um, Chad, do you have an opinion on that game? <laughs> okay, based on that scowl on your face. <laughs> I have no opinions at this time. I call bullcrap on that. <laughs> you have no opinions you want to share at this time. I have never played the game. I have seen it playing. I have seen it out, and it just reminds me of furries. Okay. There's one I saw that I picked up called Ghosts Love Candy, I think it is. It's a Steve Jackson one where mm-hmm. basically you have to scare the kids to drop their candy but not scare them so much they take it with them. And it's it's an adult-based – it's adult game for kids. And haven't tried that one yet, but it looks rather interesting. I have several Steve Jackson games that are all signed to me. A friend, he was signing somewhere, and then she got them all autographed and then sent it to me. I have not got to play any of them because, again, nobody has yeah. time to play games anymore. So I have a closet full of stuff that hasn't been touched in a while. Take a moment here to open up the mic if any of the audience uh, so wants to join in here because we do like to do this as interactive. Anyone here have a game that you know maybe you did? Uh, just happened to play at a convention off the fly and you know, ended up picking it up and it's like, hey, that's that's pretty cool. Or another thing, like I said before, where you had the person that um, you know, was using uh, Savage Worlds to run a SpongeBob-themed adventure, which don't know if that would work for a long-term campaign, but that's another thing that's cool about con events since they are designed to be just one-shot adventures that take maybe two or three hours or maybe four, you can do these crazy, goofy things that you probably wouldn't do in a long-term campaign. So if anyone wants to come up to the mic and share any game systems or uh, maybe any ideas you got for your own campaign. All right. Well, this is Scott. Uh, With the exception of the Dragon Age game that Lou and I went in on, pretty much all of my uh, con purchases have been card games. And usually it's because I ran into the designer in Artist Alley or they were a special guest and I got to play with them. So the one that I picked up that I think is probably my favorite is called Legends of Draxia. It's by Mythica Gaming. I loved it so much when they released the Kickstarter for the second edition and they're now expanding it from just a card game to a board game and an RPG. So I got in on the Kickstarter with that and we had all sorts of special bonuses coming yeah, and that's actually how my wife uh, got into Geeks convent the convention. She, you know, played it with the uh, the designer, and I think she got like a Geeks T-shirt that she had autographed too. But um, still, okay. That made me think of something because when I was at oh, was it last not not 2017? It was either 16 or 15. I was walking around like the Artist Alley area, and I ran into it's a Dragon Con, and I ran into somebody that had it was a designer of. Um, not so much a system. It was a part of a system you could incorporate into any like um, RPG. Basically, the whole point was it was a, like an inclusion for any like GM that wanted to kill the party. It was basically a death <laughs> plan for that. Your whole point was kill the party, kill the destroy so, the party. It's a TPK plan. Basically, yeah. You don't need a special module. Oh no no for no no, that. no! It's like special. It was like it had extra special like dungeon like legs layouts and stuff with like extra traps. It, it wasn't that big and it wasn't that expensive, but it was kind of really brilliant. I'll have to show Al because I yeah. keep forgetting to show you. But I bought it and the guy was amazing. I have his business card and stuff. And he has all kinds of books and stuff he published. But I just found it like kill them all or something. It was called. It was really <laughs> brilliant because like when you hate the people you're playing with and you want to kill them all was really what it was like. <laughs> What was that? Uh, what was that witches game that we played this this last November? The if you remember the one where you had the different potions, it was kind of a speed based thing. We, yeah, we played that with the designer. Yeah, I can't remember. Witch slap. That's witch right. Witch slap. That's a great name. It, it's it is. It's actually kind of a cross between spoons mm-hmm. and Magic the Gathering because the cards that you're passing around, kind of to form the sets like spoons are different types of spell cards. Mm -hmm. And the number of cards that you build up determines what level of spell that you cast and how many people you can kill with it. Yeah, and they actually had other games. Didn't you pick up one called, like, Lumberjacks? It's it's, uh, Lumberjacks and Sasquatches. Yep, and I picked up one called Cthulhu, or Cultist and Cthulhu. Also by the same designer. Oh, yep. All the same company. They had three games, we each got one. And then we can rotate. Absolutely, and I, I don't know, have you played yours yet? I have read the directions, but no, I have not played it's about it. about where I got to, but I mean, we played the Witch Slapped one at the con, and it was a lot of fun. In fact, Actually, I brought it with. Oh, did you? We nice. Here if we've got some downtime. Uh, absolutely. So, 
And then uh, another game that I loved that as an English teacher was actually really interesting was called uh, Marrying Mr. Darcy. It's a card game based on uh, the Jane Austen novel Pride and Prejudice, but there's also an expansion to turn it into the novel Emma, and there's a different expansion to turn it into Sounds Pride and Prejudice so and Zombies. <laughs> and it's great because I actually play it with some of my English class students, because I, I have another game called Kill Shakespeare <clears throat> that I picked up at a con, and another one called The Play is the Thing. So sometimes when I'm doing like a British Lit unit, I'll just break out all those games, and then kids can rotate through them. Cool. So anyone yeah. else have any other story when they want to share? Maybe a game that uh, they said you had a chance to just play it on a whim at a con, and it's like, hey, this is pretty cool. i got to pick it up. So, again, I'm going to mention – you mentioned the uh, the guy running uh, SpongeBob Call of Cthulhu with oh, Savage, Savage World. Savage World, yeah. Well, last year he did with Call of Cthulhu. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my regular GM. That's Rich, and he also helped me uh, – like you – he uh, helped me find pieces of uh, Fate Accelerated because I I was a Kickstarter for uh, uh, Dresden Files because I'm okay. a I'm a stupid huge Dresden Files fan and I, I I had that when they before they turned it into the full Fate Accelerated the Fate Core books I think that's what uh, Evil had used for that I think so yeah because uh, yeah the Dresden Files RPG is Fate yeah yeah I wasn't sure if it was Fate before or if Fate came from the Dresden Files. Uh, no, Fate came before. Okay. Yeah, Fate's been around for quite a while, actually. Oh, well then, I'm wrong. <laughs> so, that's we, what we I all get. We all get one. All right, okay. good. <laughs> yeah, another game that I picked up at a convention that I really uh, enjoy is called Three Pillars. And we actually got to play that with the guys who created it. But it's basically a paranormal investigation card game. And the Three Pillars are, the, they're, there's basically three um, investigations you have to go on. And you have different members of the team, and sometimes different members aren't allowed to go on certain investigations based on what they are. And basically, it's a, it's a number-adding game. You have to add up to a certain number to move on to the next investigation. And, of course, the guy across the table from you is trying to slow you down as he tries to investigate the same thing. So you're like rival uh, investigation teams. And uh, Scott and I bought into that pretty heavily uh, a couple of years ago. And then last year they weren't there, and we were just like – Ah, so but yeah. And another fun thing that's fun about cons now, usually for our smaller cons, we don't really uh, see them often. But celebrity guests, and I, I know Dawn, you've probably got. We could probably do an entire episode just on your celebrity encounters at Dragon Con <laughs> and everywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyone have any interesting uh, like uh, celebrity encounter stories? So maybe if you had a chance to uh, meet what. Um, I don't know, an actor or a writer or some other person of note who came to a, a convention. Well, go ahead. Go for it. All right. So now it's going to be on the record, I guess. Um, my uh, The year I turned 21, I went to ASEN. Uh, and at ASEN, uh, this was just the year that Rooster Teeth was starting to get, you know, a little bit bigger. They had just finished off the first couple seasons of Red vs. Blue. They came out there for a talk talking about how... I, I think they were a little confused as to why they were actually at an anime convention, why they were invited to an anime convention. Because it's machinima people, that they were doing. Yeah, it was machinima, and, you know. Well, and all conventions are gradually becoming multimedia conventions at this point anyway. <laughs> so for the listeners who don't know, the Rooster Teeth guys used to be an outfit called DrunkGaming.com, I believe. And uh, they were not that far removed from from that at this point when they were still making the uh, Red vs. Blue series. And at the tender age of 21 years old, my first year I actually started drinking, I got dragged around by two of the founders who are famous for drunken con pub crawls. I don't remember much of that night <laughs> at all. And there's um, no pictures of this anywhere? No, thankfully. <laughs> I mean, somebody might have pictures. I remember, you know... Questionable things with cosplay girls at some point that night. I don't remember, but you know, I the, the clear thing I do have in my mind is uh, Gus from Red versus Blue. Uh, me and him riding up and down in the elevator at the at the convention center in Rosedale, um, just pushing buttons and going up and down the floor. And anybody tried to get on, we'd yell at them that this was our elevator. Get off the elevator, and we just keep going up and down the elevator. I remember that much, and then I remember waking up at 
11 o'clock the next morning with all the members of my anime club from college really mad at me because I was snoring really hard all night. Okay, so, yeah, unfortunately, I don't really have any, I, I never, one of the, I do go to the cons, I do actually have the notable celebrity guests. I haven't really been the kind of person I don't like wait in line to get my picture taken with them. So, unfortunately, I don't really have any celebrity encounter stories to really contribute. Um, I, I said, Dawn, I don't wait in line. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, Dawn, I know you've gotten uh, a few over the years, so... Um, well, and I've told so many of them on your show already. That's the thing. So, well, how about who's your favorite? Yeah. Of the ones I don't know at this point in a comfortable manner, I'll, I'll say, okay, so Amanda Connor. So we'll say that. Um, anyone who did, reads a lot of comic books may be familiar with her work. She recently did a lot of work on, she's still, I think, drawing on Harley Quinn right now. And she was drawing on Starfire. Um, she and her, her husband, Jimmy Palmati does a lot of also work in DC. And so I went to go get, um, I went to go get the, uh, um, I went to go get, uh, my Starfire number two and my Harley number two, um, autograph. Now most comic artists will sign stuff for free. And I say issue two, because most people don't know if you comic collect as issue one, it's not usually the one that's going to make thousands of dollars later, it's usually issue two. That's the one they don't do most reprints on. So <laughs> if you don't collect comics, you probably don't know that. And so I was going up to get the autograph, to get those signed, and I had them both out, and I was just pulling them out, and I was talking, and Amanda Connor is wonderful. She is just an absolute darling to talk to. All of a sudden, the power in the Marriott Marquis, which is like 53 floors high, and I'm in the basement gone out <laughs> dead <laughs> and i'm sitting there and i'm trying to have her sign the starfire which also jimmy had done work on and i didn't see jimmy so i didn't even know he was there well the power's out and i'm like what do i do because i'm standing here in a pitch black basement of the marriott marquee in the comics and artists the comics and pop art alley there's no power and i was gonna have her sign it well i can't expect her to sign it in the dark i don't know when the power is coming back up she asked me, she goes, you have a flashlight on your phone. <laughs> so she was still ready to sign everything, which I obviously didn't expect, but that was really, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. So I'm fumbling on my stupid iPhone to get the flashlight out. And I have a flashlight out and she's signing it. And all of a sudden she goes, hey, Jimmy, well, her husband had been behind her the whole time. I didn't even know. So I got both of them to autograph both books at the same time. <laughs> and then just as everything was going back up and they're closing up, um, the lights came back on, which was kind of really cool. So I got to meet both Amanda and chat with them and, uh, shapeful hands so that was one that has not been shared on your show yet <laughs> okay. not 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 one of the more dramatic ones not, so. not my yelling at adam baldwin story no <laughs> okay so lou um well there's really two for me one of which i mean he's kind of a i'm gonna use finger quotes local celebrity oh lou i'm not a celebrity i'm fully aware of that okay and <laughs> he wasn't talking about me either no you're not local I am. Ooh. 90 minutes is local. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> How did you say local or local? Local. Or, uh, yokel? <laughs> no, yes. Uh, yes. no, actually, um, Tim Seeley. Um, Chad and I both went to college with him yep. at the UW in town here. And he's written for He-Man. He's done uh, X-Men and he did Revival, I think, which is ba like kind of a Wasa-based zombie. And he's yep. and and selling and really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, well. and Hack Slash, yeah. which sold really well when mm -hmm. it was when it was Revival still active. Movie too. Is it? Yep. That's what that. I've heard, yes. It's, it's in the works. Um, but I remember I went to school with him, and then he was here last year and met him. I met him at uh, the local comic shop, a gaming shop, too. So because I went to school with him, I wasn't really starstruck, per se. However, when we both wrote for the student newspaper, I still have those from when I was in school in the late 90s. So I had Nerd. Him... <laughs> really? We're going to start throwing stones, are you? <laughs> but no, I had him sign his original art because it was stuff from back in the 90s. And he's like, oh, wow, this is terrible. I'm like, dude, no, it's not. I mean, you should see the stick figures I draw. Um, but my other one actually was from Gamehole this last year. I'm, I've always been a big fan of Munchkin. And uh, Dave Kavalik is... Hilarious. Mm -hmm. The guy's funny. He's a real nice guy. His games are entertaining. And he ran a couple. We played Cash and Guns, uh, which was a lot of fun. And then we're um, the th uh, Scott. You were part of that too. We were went to the um, uh, what was the official name for it? Extra Life. There you go. Where they did a celebrity D and D game, and he was part of it. And he autographed one of the books at the end, and drew a duck and some people, and drew um, the different Munchkin characters in there. And 
I, I kind of nerded out with him. So I got like a poster sign. I got my book signed and I actually got a little mimic, which was the yearly uh, plush animal. Mm-hmm. I got my mimic signed by. John. Yeah, me too. That was awesome. <laughs> so yeah, that was the one I kind of nerded out on. So hopefully going forward, there's going to be more. But I got his dice. Well, yeah, but you also paid for those dice. Yes, it was so. for charity. So you're going to write it off then? Maybe. So, Chad, I know you've talked about you had a couple encounters with Gary Gygax. I have. Um, and really, those are the ones that stand out to me. I've met other quote-unquote famous people. But Gary was one of these guys. He was very personable. Uh, he's kind of a dirty old man, but it was what it was. I met him the first time I went to a convention called um, Lake GenevaCon, which is now GaryCon. By the time it was Lake GenevaCon. And uh, I went there as a vendor, actually. And I ended up taking a bus tour through Lake Geneva where Gary did talk about the different places where TSR had been and showed us a couple of the houses he had lived in and so on and so forth. And it was, it was a really neat thing. And I got to talk to him quite a bit because the tour that I went on, there was only like six of us. And five of the people were sitting in the back of the bus like, I'm afraid of Gary. I, you know, he's just a but, uh, guy. Yeah, yeah. So it was really neat because there was always this rumor that at – Lake GenevaCon, on Saturday night, he would invite people to his house to play Dungeons and & Dragons. And unfortunately, I was there as a vendor. I got the invite, but I couldn't go. And I'm like, you know what? There will be more time. And uh, I think that was in 2006. And then in 2007, I was at uh, the big one in Indianapolis. What the hell? Gen, Gen-, Gen-, Gen- Con. Con. Thank you. I was at Gen Con in 2007, and I stood in line because I had a few things I wanted Gary to sign. And I get up to the front of the line, and this, to me, is the coolest thing. And people have been like, well, you were in a name tag, blah, blah. But yeah, it was just one of these things because he looks up at me, and he's like – he kind of stops for a second. And he's like, Lake Geneva Con. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, Chad. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, of course, I had my name tag on. So he might have cheated, but whatever. And so I'm standing there, and I want him to sign two more horrors. And he's like, oh, I haven't seen this in a long time. And he goes, why don't you come around behind the table? And I'm like – what? So I go around behind the table and we're sitting there like he's flipping through and he's laughing and he's pointing at things. And I'm like, well, we're, we're playing through this right now. I said, I've never read it. We're playing through it right now. So don't give away too many spoilers. And he just kind of looks at me and he opens up to the page where we're working on this orb of annihilation. We have no idea what it is. And this is the one picture he picks out of the entire thing, points at it and he goes, just remember, a snake is always a snake. And I'm like, You know, and he just kind of chuckles to himself. But we're sitting there like 20 minutes, and finally I said, Gary, I said, what about – he's like, nah, they'll wait. I'm like, okay. They will. They They will. will. And they did. (laughs) And so after that, it was actually – this is a funny part of the story for me is at the time I I had a game shop, and my partner was there with me. And I saw Gary. We were walking through the uh, vendor's hall, and I'm like, I saw Gary, and I said to my partner Adam, I said, hey. You want to meet Gary Gygax? And he's like, whatever, dude. I'm like, come on. So he kind of follows me over there like, uh, uh. I walk over there. I'm like, hey, Gary, how's it going? And he's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, this is the guy I was telling you about. This is Adam. And his jaw just. And I'm just like, to me, that will always be the ultimate because (laughs) it's like I had met Gary. I got to know Gary pretty well in the last couple of years of his life. Unfortunately, he passed away in 08. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, it was sad when that happened, but I was. I, I always felt honored that I got to know him, you know, and talk to him, and, and he remembered me. <laughs> yeah, and I, I met – I had a chance to meet him once he, when I was at Game Fest in 2005 because after uh, Gen Con had you know, moved to Indianapolis, there was another court organization. They were trying to set up something to replace it, uh, again, just called Game Fest, and he did a seminar there where it was a Q&A, and people would talk to him about uh, Dungeons & Dragons – a little bit of the past, where he thought it was going. And um, my friend and I, uh, Dan from the Radio Free Borderlands podcast, we had arrived early. And, you know, we just sat and chatted with him a little bit. Small talk, but nothing as good as uh, your story. But he, he seemed to me anyway like a very down-to-earth, approachable person. You know, and um, I think a lot of those old-time writers were like that. I mean, I've met Frank Mensner, uh decent guy, kind of full of himself, but – a lot of artists tend to be that way. Um, you know, I, I never met Dave Arneson, which is one I wish I could have at some point but never did. But I think a lot of the older 
RPG writers, you get back to your TSRs and, and your early Chaosiums, people like Sandy Peterson, things like that. Those guys all seem to be really down to earth because they created this industry around stuff they liked, you know, and the fact that you like their stuff, they're cool with that. Yeah. And, um, and again, it's just as again, a content creator myself who you know, has done a lot of writing. Yeah, it's we trust if me, if you want to get on a game designer or an artist or a writer's good side, just tell them you like their work. It Trust me, it it means a lot. Um but when, let's talk about a side of the convention that most people don't really get to see, and that's being a vendor, an exhibitor. Uh, so this is something I know Chad and I both have experience with. Um, now, I've worked uh, at okay. the table for like the last couple of years at several smaller conventions, but yeah. yeah and then uh, anyone else have any experience like that where maybe you've worked as a um, an exhibitor or a vendor or just done you been on the other side of the table so Lou have you I ever? bought a lot of stuff and that's about it okay what I will say about being a vendor is know your convention mm-hmm. a story that ties in with the Gary story I just told is we went down to vend at Lake GenevaCon we knew it was a convention we didn't know what kind of convention so we took all of our at the time it was 3.5 we took all that kind of new kind of to them, what it was really new role-playing, and nobody had wanted anything to do with it. It was the one single con that we went to at, when we were a store where we lost money. Mm-hmm. We didn't even make our table back, let alone hotel and everything else. And unfortunately for – I know for a lot of small vendors, yeah, that's something that really makes it a lot more challenging to go to these larger conventions um, – is the fact that yeah, if you're paying two hundred dollars for you know hundred two hundred dollars for a table, you know you're sometimes you're lucky if you make that back, but then you got to consider the other expenses, uh, you know lodging, travel, food. The extra guy I took down that I paid for the weekend to uh, yeah. help at the table. Well, and my advice, actually having worked several like anime conventions, multimedia conventions. And stuff like that is always, if you can, what we learned, I mean, even though Kristen's been doing it for a while, is my suggestion is always, if you've never done that convention before, go as an attendee and get a feel for it. Because people, we have friends, I have friends that vend, like, homemade plushies. I have friends that vend art. I have friends that vend, like, all kinds of stuff. And what they run into is they'll go somewhere they've never been to before and not make their table back. But they didn't get the feel for it. They, they're like, well, it was this kind of convention. I'm like, yeah, but did you know what the, did you know what the, um, what the feel for was of the crowd? Did you know what they were, what, what they liked to buy? Did you know anything about any of this before you went into it? So if you don't have an idea what, like, oh, maybe they generally um, work. I mean, maybe, you know, generally the crowd favors um, a lot of plushies, or maybe maybe they don't, or maybe they favor. You know, the art. If you don't know what you're going into, you may not make your table back. So it's like you yeah, need to know. That's exactly what I was getting at. It's like they all played first edition, second edition. Mm-hmm. They all played, you know, uh, sword and sorcery. All this stuff that we didn't carry in our store because that's not what our clientele wanted. So it was like we sold a few sets of dice that entire weekend, and that was about it. You know, but the thing is, too, is, I mean, it's there's a two-prong attack to it. I mean, you got to get out of derp. You got to know what people are going to buy, but you're not going to know that until you go there. But then also, I mean, the website of the con usually tells what other type of vendors are there. So, I mean, if you have, if you go in there being a vendor of, let's say, solid dice, that's all you do is dice, and there are a hundred other vendors doing dice, you better have something that is really out there that's better than all of those other 99 vendors. But you won't know who's going to be there until after the approvals have gone in and are up on the site. You usually have to apply for that like almost a year in advance. Right. So it's kind of like that's where I always say if you either, or either know somebody who's been going to that convention and can get you that information in advance or go as an attendee once, even just for one day, and get a feel for the vendor hall just so you know. Because otherwise you sit there with nothing to do like – because mm-hmm. we've been, Kristen has three tables now, like a three stalls along, and w- like one and a half of those is like stuff, like like scale mail stuff that's been made and things. And the other is supplies. We sell supplies now, like leather and and um, uh, 
warblot, which is thermoplastic and things like that, because we've done the research and we know what people want, and we take these to all these different... But Welcome to Dawn's General Store. What can I get you today? <laughs> oh, and I'm usually working it all by myself because she's usually a cosplay judge now. So. <laughs> yeah. You see her sitting there with like a blacksmith apron on. And <laughs> no, I'm in full. I'm in full crazy cosplay standing there. <laughs> and, and and from my perspective, having been a game designer with a couple different companies, um, you know, on my own right now, but uh, back in the '90s when I and early 2000s when I was part of Lasalian Games. The thing that was challenging for us is, you know, being a game designer, conventions are a great way to get your name out there and, you know, get people exposed to your product. So it's one of those things where you got to kind of think, well, it's this short-term, hopefully it's going to be a short-term loss, long-term game. Because, you know, as we were talking about before, one of the nice things about conventions is it gives people an opportunity to play games that they may not otherwise have seen. And the nice thing about when I was with Lasalian Games, since there were four of us, uh, you know, a couple of us could watch the booth while, you know, one or two of us could go out and run demos. Because let's face it, that's the best way to get people interested in your game is to uh, run a demo and maybe pass out a business card. And maybe they'll come and check it out later. So do you have any uh, vendor stories, Chad, from when uh, – <laughs> Any interesting, you know, you know little sadly, inside baseball, pulling back the curtain? Not really. Um, like I said, know, know your convention. Uh, know what you have there in stock. Now, this isn't personally me, but it's like a lot of times you can force a buy from somebody. Like I saw my partner, he'd say like, well, it's the only one we have in stock. And I'm like, there's three more under the table, asshole. <laughs> you know, and, and the thing about that is, is sure, you might force that sale, but that person's going to walk by later mm -hmm. and see that you have another one sitting there. And you're and lose credibility right exactly, there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And mm. so I never tried that. The only thing. <laughs> this is one of a kind. Let me pull another one from the back. <laughs> the only one thing I ever did. One, I mean, two of a kind. <laughs> the, the only thing I ever did, and we were at GeekCon in Madison, and. Nobody was buying from any of the vendors. It was like, unless the word retro was involved in it, nobody wanted to touch it. Yeah, for you. So I'm sitting there and I've got an entire bucket of like 300 white pipped six-sided dice. And I'm like, they're, they're not moving anyway. I mean, we've had these things forever. So I put the bucket out there and the second day on, I'm like, retro gaming dice. And I slapped it on there, 50 cents a die. I went home with 38 dice. Wow. It was like, they're like, retro? And it was just like handfuls. And I'm like, came out of a Monopoly game. <laughs> it's it's just, you know, not related, but not really. It's kind of like when you got something that you put on the, uh, saying for free when you put it on the front lawn and nobody takes it. But then you say for sale and somebody steals it overnight. It's the, it's the yeah. same thing. You put retro on it and it's just people just gobble that stuff up. Nowadays. It, was, it was crazy because I, I went back, I got back to the shop and I'm unloading everything and and Adam kind of picks up the, the big – I mean, we have like one of those big like Cheeto, like plastic Cheeto barrels full of these things. And there's like a bunch in the bottom. And he's like, where are all the white dice? And I'm like, sold them. He's like, no, really. Where are all the white dice? <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, another reason we all love going to cons is gaming, you know, playing different – whether it's a game that uh, you've played before and you just like playing every now and then or, you know, learning something new. Anyone have any good gaming stories from any good gaming sessions? Uh, kittens in a Blender. Okay. Um, if you've never played Kittens in a Blender, it's a really quick, you can learn it. That's a game? It is a game. That sounds hilarious. It's a card game. I should have brought it this weekend, honestly. It's a card game you can learn in under two minutes. Okay. The rules are so simple. Um, it's and, and it's pretty, I mean, my nephew plays it, and he's... He, he, I, I got it when he was nine, and he's 11 now. It's super simple. Well, we might have some problems with it then. <laughs> but the whole point of the game is to either to save your kittens and blend everybody else's. That is the purpose of this game. It's delightfully macabre. So we had one of our roommates at Kasitikon was a little drunk. He was a little drunk, and he wanted to save all the kittens. So he kept getting mad at us. And I'm like, Isaiah, don't play this game with a nihilist. Because I was like, you know what? I'm throwing mine in the blender. We're just blending all the kids. <laughs> and on the floor going, you monster. <laughs> okay. Blend. So, Lou, 
Oh, um, well, the, the witch slapped one was a lot of fun to play, especially with the designer, because we were playing it in such a way that I think she hadn't really realized that you could play yet. So we're doing things. She's like, wait, what? No, you're not supposed to do that. Um, but no, actually, my fate experience was pretty hilarious because fate is kind of a run it as you go type thing where you you do a little bit of dice rolling, but it's more narrative. So like if as long as you can explain what you're trying to do. You can get it done if the DM allows it. So my character ended up going in. What, what is that huge crater with that was in the, oh, God, it's got some weird French-sounding name. You told me what it is. Um, huge Jaws came in, kind of whatnot. But in any respect, my character was a pirate half-demon somehow. So I ended up taking and flying way up in the air. I had, like, claws about maybe a foot long out of each fingers. Yeah, Did I, you I have a sarlacc pit. What are you no, talking it about? actually looks it actually looks like that. It sounds like that, but it's called something with like a Q. <laughs> like, but what are you that's, that's about? why that's why I wrote it down is because I don't remember the name of the damn thing. So end up flying way up in the air and kind of doing like a drill claw thing from from Marvel superheroes, going through one eye out the other, end up having an eyeball on my arm, which I turn into an eyeball buckler <laughs> that fires holy light to heal people. And the way I explained it, he's like. You win, and he gave me the book. <laughs> so I was pretty happy with that. You know, I think my best game is actually one I ran at a convention. It was, um, I'm trying to remember the name of Con, but it was in Eau Claire. Someone help me here. Eau Claire Con? Sure, we'll go with Eau Claire Plat Con. No, not Platte Con, that's in Platteville. No, right? it wasn't at Platteville. But it was, um, it was in Eau Claire. But anyway, I'm at this convention, and I was vending, so... It was, they ran until like 3 in the morning, 2, 3 in the morning, something like that. And I'm like, so how can I run a game? Because at that point, I was really big into running. Like, that's all I wanted to do was run games. And uh, so I ran a Call of Cthulhu game that started after the vendor room closed. So I ran from like 10 o'clock at night to 2 o'clock in the morning. All three, or uh, two of the three nights of the con. And I had a table of eight. And... They all eight came back the second night, and so it was a two night thing. And at the very end, basically, what happens is they they fight their way out of this underground tomb, and there's a bad guy working against them. He's trying to raise Cthulhu. Well, Cthulhu just kind of rolls in his sleep and projects himself. So as they're running out of the the opening of this um, cave, Cthulhu like materializes in front of him, and they run into his maw. <laughs> So, of course, everybody makes a sand check. And I had set it up where if you made your sand check, you would lose one die 20 uh, uh, sanity based on the fact that I wanted everybody, if they, regardless, to have either temporary or permanent sanity. So <clears throat> I had a table of eight, and they split four and four. Four made it, four failed. And if you failed, I made you roll a die 100 sanity loss, which is what the book says you're supposed to do. So... <laughs> They, they, they do it. They split up. I'm like, all right, first I'm going to roll the ones for the people who made there. And I'm like, I'm, not, I'm rolling a die 20, and I'm rolling 16, 17, 19, 19. I'm like, hey, that works. You know, that's good. So then we get to the four that failed, and I got die 100. And the lowest roll that I had on a die 20 was still higher than the highest roll I had on percentile. <laughs> awesome. So they're all sitting there like, wait. We failed, and we did better than the guys who made it. <laughs> so, well, luck of the dice, my friend. Yeah, exactly. It was like, my dice hate me. But that was probably one of my favorite ones to run ever because not only did I get all eight people back at a convention, which is huge. Yeah. It was like, as, as a DM, that kind of gives you that bit of, you must be doing something right. Validation. Yeah. Um, I, your COC story reminded me of last year. I can't remember if it was you or if it was Brian that was running that one. Where we had the people were falling through the floor. That was me. Okay. Yeah, there was a couple people fell through the floor, and another guy wanted to go down to try to help him. He fails his roll, falls on a guy, breaks his neck, and well, kills, he rolled a hundred. And he, and, and he kills the doctor. He kills the doctor, so the rest of us are just like, uh. the cop goes down, freaks out, kills himself, and the rest of us are just like, screw this. <laughs> yeah, like three people just. <laughs> you shot. Oh, that's right. That's right. Come tell your part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
we had this, it was a Call of Cthulhu game, and my character had slipped in between dimensions and saw these creatures Oh, that was a different game. That's not the same game. Yeah, so I saw the creatures flying, and I stepped back out, and we're just like, where were you? You were gone for like an hour or so. And I'm like, I was only gone for a second. But I said, there these things coming, so I got a flare gun. That was the only <laughs> weapon I had. And one of the other party members decides to go through first. So I'm like... All right, he, he goes through, I go through it, and I say, as soon as I step through, I fire. I failed so badly because when the first guy went through, he stopped. So I step through the portal with the flare gun drawn and end up with it basically pressed against the back of his skull, and I pulled the trigger, and I maxed out on my damage. I blew his, the top of his head off and lit his neck stump on fire with the flare. Yeah, I, I just get somebody with a strong <laughs> carry him as a candle. <laughs> I'd have to say one of my favorite. I used to do uh, RPGA events where um, sometimes I would run, sometimes I would. No, they're not that bad, Scott. <laughs> but I, sometimes I would run, sometimes I would, um, you know, judge them. And I was a big fan of the Living City. One of my favorite ones. We had an adventure where the party consisted of a dwarven fighter, an elven diviner. And four swashbucklers. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> and guess what type of enemies we were facing in that encounter? Mostly undead. So it was fun because, of course, the four swashbucklers were trying to outdo each other all the time. Uh, we were uh, at an inn on the second floor. My, uh, my character was on guard. And that's when we noticed this horrible smell because there were gas that were in the street. Because you oh, shit yourself? I, I thought you meant there was a whole bunch of gamers here. <laughs> no. <laughs> Blue. So anyways, but um, so I wake everyone up and now, of course, there's people being, you know, my character was chaotic good. There were characters on the street being, you know, innocent civilians being hurt. I could run out the room, go down the hallway, go down the door, come out the uh, the front of the door. That would take too long. So How fun is that? Yep, exactly. Jumped right out the window. And the next swashbuckler who got up, he decided he was going to one-up me. Didn't bother to put on his clothes or armor, butt naked, grabs his sword, grabs his dagger, jumps out after me. Um, but that was a fun one just because, like I said, we had the four swashbucklers always trying to outdo each other. And, I mean, really with the living events, I'm not sure if they still do them. But it was always a challenge because the way it worked is you had this marshalling area. And if you had some friends that you were with, you could always say, I'm going to be with them. But a lot of times I would go to these events and I had no idea who I was going to be with. So sometimes you had parties where it was lopsided, where I was the only fighter and everyone else was like a thief or a wizard or a cleric. And occasionally you do manage to get a really nice, well-balanced party. But I guess that's part of the challenge. You never know who you're going to be working with. Well, in any, any convention game uh, where people bring in characters... Or I have done it where I've set up like a six-hour slot so there's time to make characters. Mm -hmm. You can never guarantee that balance, which is why now I tend to do pre-generated characters. I prefer, I prefer going into games where there's pre-gens just because, uh, I first of all, if, especially if it's something where I'm maybe not too familiar with the system, I don't want to have to like plan out and be prepared for something that I'm not sure what exactly is going to happen or try to come up with something there in a time constraint. It's just, I'd rather have the pre-gen and just be ready to Yeah, the, the couple times where I had people make their own characters, I've learned if you're going to do that, have them make them before, you give them the rules, have them bring their characters, which would be like a RPGA type yeah. setup. But, yeah, pre-gen characters are the way to go. Yes, it's annoying sometimes to sit down and make 8, 10, 12, 15 characters so people have a choice of what to do. But now and a lot of times you can just go out online you're like, I need 15 D&D &D characters level 6. Boom. And there's generators or there's ways to do that. It's it's not like back in the old days where you would do something. You're like, I got to make 15 characters. But all right, we got audience participation. I actually have a funny story from Gen Con about pre-generated characters. I was in First, I have to say, Scott, you've been up here several times. Are you the only person in the audience? Uh, 
Currently, we've had... Shh, we an, don't want people to know that. Okay, we had some people, but they had to leave. We've, we've had an ebb and flow of interest Ooh. as the day has gone on. Leave it to the teacher of English language to use fancy schmancy terms. Yes, but keep in mind that like another row of games started like, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. in like 15 minutes ago. So, so and <laughs> thank you for that reminder because that actually plays in. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah, uh, messed was, up in reverse again. Yes. So, I was playing a... a uh, fourth Ed Champions game, and um, the GM was actually from London. He'd flown over uh, to Indianapolis for the game. This was, I think, the second year Gen Con was in Indy. And what he did was he flew over, and one of the his regular players had flown over with him and was kind of helping him run the game. But he took all of the characters from his gaming group in London and brought them over to run an adventure. And we didn't have enough players, so I ended up playing two characters, one of whom was the magic user. And the, the party was loosely based on um, Marvel's Knights of the Round Table, like with Captain Britain and all mm -hmm. that. So I, I was playing this wizard, and the wizard, all of his powers had this limitation, which was called incantations. Basically, to cast any of the spell, he had to say the magic words and whatnot. So I'm sitting there doodling as I'm going along, so I'm looking at all the powers, and I'm like... Okay, and I had I think I had just read Piers Anthony's uh, Phase series, and the Blue Adept, one of the main characters, had this limitation that all his magic worked off rhyme, but he could never use the same rhyme twice. He had to come up with a new poem every time he wanted to do something. There's another Marvel character that's just like that. It's uh, Nico Minaju, part of the Runaways. Yep. She can't use the same uh, incant the same yep. spell. She can change the word, and but the spell it has to be different, like it be different language or whatever. But yeah. Yep. And so I, I was writing down all, all these little poems that I was going to use each time I cast a spell so that I'd be ready to go with it. And the, the two guys from England kept like, talking to one another. And then one of them goes out and comes back with one of the Gen Con staffers who's got this little video camera. Because it was before smartphones, so we couldn't just yeah. record it on the phone. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe we're doing promotional video or whatever. So the guy just stays there and he records us for like 20 minutes. And I, I did a, a few of the spells and whatnot. And then the guy turns to him and says, that's great, thanks. So he stops the camera, takes the tape out, hands it to him. And I'm like, what was that for? And he said, uh, the guy who normally plays this just mumbles Stuff. So we're going to take this back to him and show him how he's supposed to play his game. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I think that's going to wrap up today's show. So I'd like to thank you all for listening and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.